Ah, hey guys, uh, just another episode. Born funny. Just <laughs> Nate literally just asked me, he goes, Jim, how do we start this? And I go, just go, uh, hey guys, it's another episode of Born Funny. And then Nate went, hey guys, it's another episode of uh, Born Funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, mate, I asked the question, you gave me an answer, I delivered uh, it. That's you Would so you have right. been annoyed if I had started it completely differently? I just didn't put a lot of thought or effort into my response. <laughs> oh, so now it's shit how I've started it. No, no, I, it's my fault. <laughs> I should have went, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, no your first another, one was better. No, yeah, thanks. Uh, it's another episode of Born Funny. We've got Matt O'Kine on, on today, um, or tonight, whatever you listen to it. Um, <laughs> no, just, you have to listen at night. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not overselling it, but he, was, he took it very seriously, which, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people think that funny people, um, you know, are just making jokes all the time. Some are, but funny people come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> Um, and I was just blown away. I was just like, wow, what a, I want to hang out with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it was really good. And... Yeah. I mean, we tried to keep him around a bit afterwards, but we had already kept him for an hour and he was gone. I've he'd... never seen a guest leave. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he also had just recorded, he does Matt, Matt and Alex, Alex which yeah. is also on Lee Sneak. You can go listen to that. He just recorded that. He probably just was here for three hours and he's like, oh, I'm going to do this now. And then we got a photo afterwards. Uh, producer Grace got one and it was, uh, didn't take any film on the Polaroid camera. Yeah. <laughs> so we made him wait. For a photo that doesn't even exist. So, so you're the reason that he wanted to leave straight away, pretty much. No, in my defence, he wanted to leave before the camera came. <laughs> <laughs> ah, funny people. An odd bunch, really. Not your usual folk. They've been making us knee slap since the ancient Greeks. But what makes these real-life jesters tick? Perhaps today we should ask this person. Hey, I'm out of kind. Tell me, were you born funny? Yep. <laughs> All right, now get the random applause ready for an Australian stand-up author, actor, radio presenter. That's enough. Uh, you may have woken up with him on Triple J Brecky as one half of Matt and Alex, or you may wake up with him right now on the listener app for All Day Breakfast with Matt and Alex. He's performed at comedy galas and festivals all over the world. He's won too many comedy awards, including an aria for Best Comedy Release. He's written and starred in TV shows, including a Stan original movie, which came out last year, Christmas Ransom. We love that one. Please welcome to the pod, Matt O'Connor! Oh, Matty O'Connor! Yes. That's me. I did all that. Yeah, you did, mate. Well did. done. Thanks for coming in. All right, that was Matt. Who we got next week? <laughs> that's all, yeah, all we have time for. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a long one. You made, you made me do that um, record thing just before, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sort of, you know, are you funny and were you born funny? And I said, yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. not spoiling anything for the no. listeners, am I? No. no. I, well, as I said, it's a super short podcast, um, so you've already answered <laughs> yeah. it. So. <laughs> well, no, like, because, you, know, you know, I find the idea of, you know, being funny or whatever... It's like something you're supposed to be um, humble about. It's a science kind of thing. It's not. It's not something that I don't understand why there has to be this kind of. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. like I mean, there was. Uh, there, I famously got myself into a little bit of a situation with Chris Rock a couple of years ago on the Triple J Breakfast Show because uh, he was on the podcast and Alex Dyson said, "Oh, you know, Matt's a comic." And then Chris said, "Tell a joke." Tell, well, are you are you funny? He <laughs> yeah. said, "Are you funny? funny yes. Yeah, you're good." Mm. And I said, yeah, I'm really good, right? Like, but here's my logic, because when you go to like a wine fair, you know, and you go up to some, you know, lady who's making Pinot Noir or something and you go, hey, is this wine good? And they're like, oh, I don't know, not really. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little bit. Like, you're like, what? You want someone who's like, 
This is the best damn Pinot in the country. Yeah. You can get it for this much and you are going to like it and you can buy 12 cases of it right now. Well, so when someone goes, are you funny? I'm like, yes, I am <laughs> because my my frigging career is depending on it. I've got mouths to feed. Yeah. You think I'm going to walk around and be like, no, I don't know. Yeah, I am funny because food needs to be on the table tonight. That's why I'm funny. You've Have you run into it. Chris Rock since then? I remember that clip blowing up everywhere. Nah, I haven't no. actually. I'm, I'm, I'm scared and excited because it probably doesn't mean anything to him, but yeah. I'm like still wounded slightly, you know? It's true though. Do you like... love when Will Smith slapped him? You were like, yes. No, no. <laughs> oh my God. I, yes. Do you know how many people got in touch with me? Like, oh, he's doing it for you, man. And I'm like, shut up. What are you talking about? It was upset. Maddie was actually there. We would just beat him to no, the top. Do you know what? It's like, I mean, and especially with that Chris Rock thing as well, because Will Anderson, it was funny because Hughesy comes up to me and was like, after the, sh- after, we were at the gala and he's mm. like, oh man, that's, that's not cool what Chris said about you. Like, you know, it's like, you know, calling himself the Michael Jordan of comedy and stuff. That wasn't cool. And then like, and then, and then Will was like, oh man, I thought it was hilarious because this was too... This is two comics really just having a little bit of a sparring match. And yeah. I think that that's what it kind of, it, it, it really is, you know, like if I was a good basketball player yeah. and um, Michael Jordan asked me, oh, you know, you're good at basketball. And I was like, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, well, let's go. Yeah. Me and you one-on-one. Yeah. Do you think there's any embarrassment in getting dunked on by Jordan? Like, no. no. I'd be like, no. I'd <laughs> be like, all. dunk away. Like, yeah. this is this is mad. Like, I played one-on-one with Jordan and everyone would be like, did he beat you? And it's like, yeah, of course he beat me. He's Jordan, man. <laughs> He's fucking Michael <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, of like, course he beat me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I got to play him. Yeah, you exactly. will never you get didn't even get to play him. I yeah. was playing I'd him. I'd be more pissed off if I beat him because then I'm like, I could have had a fucking basketball yeah, yeah, career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, on your, yeah, you know what the, the greatest to be, you know, dunking on the greatest. It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 so like that's kind of my attitude to those sort of questions because um, yeah, there's too much of that whole oh yeah and all that sort of stuff. So when you know back, you're born in Brizzy. Were you always that confident? Were you this confident as kid? Nah, look, there's a lot of um, a lot of factors that come into you know confidence when it comes to performing. I find one of the biggest things that really set me free in my belief, or not even my belief that I was funny, but in my in the permission to be funny and to pursue. The type of career that I wanted to, to pursue was really my mum dying. You know, yeah. my mum died when I was twelve, and it, and that was just something that I'd always liked being funny previously. And I was always doing like little jokes in class and trying to be a funny person, buying joke books, and you know, I also wanted to be a magician. So I can't say that my judgment at the time was amazing, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I um, uh, shout out to all the magicians out there. I love you, and I still that's, see a, that's another podcast we do. Yeah, you a great magician. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, born magic. Yeah, born <laughs> magical. <laughs> Harry Potter born, is our first guest. Yeah, yeah. born creepy more like yeah. that. Um, no, jokes, magicians. I love you. I still want to be you. Um, so, you know, I had always been funny. And even like, you know, I guess I used it as a coping me- mechanism for a while. I, I remember like the day my mum died was on was uh, Good Friday. And on the way home, kind of feeling so, you know, my friend Robbie and his mum picked me up. And just driving home in the car and there was just silence. And it was so like uncomfortable. Mm. And uh, and it was a good Friday, so I remember I remember saying you're like you know oh at least she died today you know because it means she's gonna come back in two days right yeah. and 
I mean, that joke bombed. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how much no one was involved, like, into that joke at all. And it was like, all right, well, this is how I'm going to deal with things like that. And, yeah. and that's kind of what I've done ever since. Do you it's, think you were doing it as well because you were helping other people cope with their grief? I'm sure that there was a, a you know, an element of that where it's like it breaks the uncomfortability and the silence and, yeah, like the sort of, yeah, it's like, hey, you don't you don't have to feel as terrible about this as I can, like you can feel a little bit better about it. There's no point in us all feeling shit. Yeah. So I think that was my psychology at the time. I mean, ultimately it's, it's people deal with grief in different ways. And I'm not suggesting that my way of dealing with it in that particular moment was the right way, but it was the way that I dealt with it. It's interesting to hear how different comics use comedy to, to cope with things or to defend themselves. We had Luke McGregor on uh, last time we did this as well, and he said he used to use it as a weapon, remember? Because he, would, he was bullied a lot as well, and so he would use it as a means to return fire, mm. essentially. And it's interesting you say that you use it as a, as a coping mechanism, a mechanism as well. Do, would you say that you still do that? I mean, obviously that was super tragic losing your mum, and then would you say if something were to happen tomorrow would you still use comedy in that same way oh yeah i mean i'm like i'm writing a movie right now about my mum dying when i was 12 and i've written i wrote a book about it my first show at melbourne comedy festival that i won best newcomer for was about that i still have grief over that and i still use it to create content and make you know tell stories and be funny around it and i do that with everything i do i mean you're looking at someone who has a you know the show the other guy which is based off situations in my life in which you know i found out my partner was cheating on me with my best friend and we'd all been living together in the same house and that was um an intensely traumatic experience and made me question a lot about trust who i can trust not just my you know ex-partner but my friends my life my family who knew all that sort of stuff yeah that stuff still like you know bounced around in my head at times but you, you, I used it um, to look at it from a you know funny perspective, and that was just a way that I that I dealt with it. Has anyone ever said to you, "Oh, Matt, you shouldn't joke about that. You should be focusing on I don't know, moving forward or mourning or any of that kind of stuff." Has anyone um, ever said that? To mainly you? my dad, but I think that's because he didn't get a role in the show. <laughs> <laughs> and he, we auditioned him. We did audition oh. him, and oh, he wasn't actually. good enough. Yeah. yeah. It was very hard to breaking the news to my dad that he couldn't play my dad yeah, in the I was about show. To say, was he going I was for like, your dad? Sorry, we found someone better. Did he at least have input really, in it? Yeah. You went, look, pick from these three, Dad. These. <laughs> Who's the most you? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you like? It's like, no, you can't have Denzel Washington, Dad. All right. Yes, can we get his son, John yeah, Washington? Yeah, 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 yeah. The age doesn't. So we go back. So like you, you know, your mum's passed away. This comedy there. Are you pursuing this? Are people encouraging that behaviour? Nah. So what what I'd gotten stuck in, you know, in that school environment was this idea that I needed to be smart mm. and that being smart was getting good grades in things that smart people did like maths and science. So I enrolled in a whole bunch of subjects that I was truly shit at <laughs> and that I should never have done. And I try to encourage any young people who are at school or anything like that to not waste time like I did in those instances because, you know, I wanted to be... Here's the stupidest thing I did, right? I enrolled in physics, right, to be a pyrotechnician, right? And, like, I've seen the guys that set up fireworks at, at concerts and stuff. Like, 
these dudes, I've some of them I'm sure didn't finish school and they do they're living the dream like blowing up fireworks and stuff. And here I am going, Oh, if I want to use you know work with fireworks, I better understand the compositions of that. Like, no, I should have oh, just mate. done Sounds magician adjacent. Let me tell you, we've done we've done a few like live spawning events, we MC that kind of stuff, and we've seen the guys who press it's it's one button, Matt. It's one red <laughs> button and it says firework, no firework. <laughs> That's what it says. Yeah. There was like a whole bunch of young guys just making sure that no one's standing in the way of the fireworks. <laughs> yeah. And then that's it. Like, no, don't get me wrong. I know that there's a lot of uh, process to all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, I was, I was choosing the wrong ways to go about doing the things that I really like. And so it took me until about year 10. So my mum died in year eight. I was still doing all these terrible, not terrible, but it's just making bad decisions, trying to keep other people happy. And then I eventually just enrolled into speech and drama in high school and, uh, you know, got over the whole, uh, um, this, I mean, it sounds, it sounds very dated, but it was like dramas for girls kind of thing, that yeah. attitude back in 1990s Brisbane. And then, yeah, I enrolled in drama school. Uh, I went to drama school and that, and then in my second year of drama school, I enrolled in the raw comedy competition Yep, and, uh, ended up making it to the national final in the first, you know, time through. And yeah, then yeah. I really bombed at the final. So, so bad. <laughs> oh, man, I really, really scarred. Was that, was that one of the first big bombs of your careers? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. yeah. So what happened actually was, so I was a young brown kid from Queensland and I was just starting to do comedy and, you know, a lot of the comedy that I'd grown up on was black people talking about being black, you know, yep. like Chris Rock and Maddie Murphy and all that sort of stuff. And so I start my career doing the same thing, you know, making jokes about, you know, hey, I'm not, you know, I, I was born here. I didn't come over on a World Vision sponsorship and all this sort of stuff, right? And like, it's so like, you know, doing all this, uh, you know, um, yeah, making jokes about having a small dick, and, you know, being just, just all this stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. And like, it was all just so cringe when you look back on it, but it's all I had. It's the five minutes that I had. Yeah. And so I made it to the grand final, this national comedy competition, raw comedy, all amateurs, except I was on my fourth gig ever. And I was up against people from Sydney who had been in comedy for like five years yeah. and had been doing the open mic scene for years and years who were so on top of their game. And there was this one guy called Nick Sun, right? Now, I was on second last on this show, 1,500 people, town hall. I'm backstage. I can't hear what's going on, what all the other people are doing on their sets. Yeah. So I'm just sort of thinking, I'm hearing this guy, Nick Sun, go on. He's absolutely crushing it, right? So then I go on, second last, and my whole set is, you know, what's the deal with being black? Oh, look at me. Oh, well, I'm black, black, but down the down below is black, I'm white. You know, stuff like this. Like, oh, my God. And so anyway, and the, the whole audience is just like dead silent, like barely a titter, right? And I get off stage, and I'm like, what the hell happened? I bombed. Right. And there was like the type of bomb that like, you know, you go backstage afterwards and there's like events where there's drinks with everyone yeah. else. And there's people from the, you know, organization, like barely wanting to look me in the eye kind of thing. It's like, mm. oh my God, what, what happened? <laughs> and so then I get this, then, then we all get sent the tape of the, of the event that was going to go out on ABC. Yeah. This is three months later. I finally get this videotape VHS of everyone's performance. And so I watched the whole show and I finally see Nick's son's performance. He won the night. And Nick's son's entire routine, he goes out and he's Asian and he goes out and he's like, 
Oh, okay, here I am, another ethnic comedy forced into doing this ethnic comedy crap. So here's my jokes. Oh, I'm Asian, I got a small dick, ha ha ha. Oh, I eat dog, $2 sucky sucky, ha ha ha. And the crowd is fucking losing it, right? He's just torn apart every ethnic comic, right? And then I walk out six acts later and I'm like, what's the deal with being black? Like, as if I haven't... Like, the whole crowd is like, did he not? <laughs> did you not see that? But I hadn't. I hadn't seen it at all until three months later. I just, all the blood from my face left as I just, the hope drained out of me as I sat in my bedroom and watched this VHS and realised how stupid I looked. Did you have any contact with him after that moment? Oh, yeah. After I mean, look, we saw each other heaps because he's, he's great. Like, he's, he's honestly one of the funniest guys yeah. you'll ever meet. But, yeah, I certainly changed my material quickly after that. Well, after something like that, which clearly bombs, right? And yeah. you watch it back. Mate, he said gone, clearly. Yeah. Don't <laughs> I mean, down. it was clearly. Was obviously I bombs. Remember, <laughs> I remember. I think we were row four or five. Yeah. Like, yeah. You yeah. Did he not see the last guy? <laughs> You don't see, son. Yeah. Was before. Um, how do you come back from that? Obviously, I mean, you said it was what your fourth ever gig, that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you're yet to have this comedy career, but when that happens, are you are you able to get back on that comedy horse, uh, to use the cliche, straight away, or was it motivating to be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have another crack at this, or we kind of like, oh, maybe it's not for me. Um, no, it was fine. That was fine. I got back into it. I mean, you don't learn from the good gigs. You never walk, you never get off stage and you're like, man, I'm so good. I need to get better. <laughs> like you don't, you just, you go, man, I'm so good. That was amazing. I'm amazing. I'm going to go out with some friends and have heaps of drinks and, you know, be a legend. Yeah. But when, when you die, you go, I need to rethink everything in my life, including whether I'm good at this and how I can get better so that I don't embarrass myself. And so that's when you go home and you really just sit down and actually look at your set. So you need to kind of have the losses to really learn. So that's always something that's that's a consolation for me. Whenever I have a bad gig, I'm like, all right, well, let's actually look at what where it went wrong. And usually you can identify what happened. And often complacency is kind of the biggest thing. People always ask, you know, oh, do you get nervous when you go on stage? Oh, it must be so nerve-wracking. And it is. And th- that's a good thing. I want to be nervous when I'm going on stage because it means that I care and it means that I'm really worried that if things go wrong, it's not going to go, it's not going to be good. And so I'm thinking about it right to the moment I step out on stage. Every single time, you know, I liken it to like every single time, like I'm not present and aware and thinking about what I'm doing that's when things go wrong. So every now and then, I remember there's been a couple of nights over like my 37 years of being alive where like I remember having a couple of drinks in the afternoon and being like, do you know what? I'm just going to go hard tonight. I'm just going to (laughs) have heaps of beers. I'm just going to slam beers. Nothing could go wrong. Guaranteed that's the night. Oh, arrested. Or like... (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Or that's the night you have some huge blow up with your friend and you're like... It's because you got complacent, you know, you yeah. just you just let your guard down. And it's exactly the same with the gig. Anytime someone's like, hey, shouldn't you be like thinking about the gig? It's like, oh, I'm at the gig, the gig, I'm at the gig. I'll be fine with the gig. And that's the gig yeah. that you just bomb. And, and you, you know, and there's someone really important in the crowd. I mean, the whole crowd is important, but there's some, there's some executive from a network or, you know, that's always when, yeah, you let yourself down the most. Do you ever focus on the people who are going to be there watching you? Has has that ever come across, like when you walked out stage? So what I just said then actually is a really important point because I remember being backstage at um, the comedy store and someone came in and said, oh, is there anyone important in the crowd tonight? 
And I, I then said, yeah, every, everyone is important. Because if you do, what, what happens is if you try to impress the back of the room, the front of the room is going to be disappointed. And the back of the room is actually there to see the reaction from the front of the room. So the back of the room doesn't care about what you do on stage. Like if you, and when I say the back of the room, I mean, there's, you know, other comics or there's network executives, etc. No one cares what you do. They just want to know that the audience is having a good time and enjoying themselves, especially people from networks or, or anyone who's, you know, deemed important within the industry. So they, if they're going to see talent, they don't care whether you're a magician or whether you're a high, you know, a, Fireworks, pyrotechnic. a plate spinner or whatever you do. They don't care if you're a musical comic. They don't care if you don't talk and you just mime. If the crowd loves it and you're selling tickets and people are coming to you, then that's all they care about. So one of the things that I've started learning pretty early on is like, even when you're there and someone comes in and goes, oh my God, so-and-so from Montreal's in the room or so-and-so from Edinburgh's in the room, you better do well then I will always just focus on whoever, you know, Todd and Mary in the front row are and make sure that I'm making them laugh. The laughs will get to the back of the room. Talking sort of about your career, you seem very um, like caring, like you really care about, you know, you're talking there about the audience in the front of the room and, and the work you're putting in and, you know, you're talking about, sorry to mention before, when you bombed that first time and, you know, you went back to the material. It's an obvious all... bomb too. Yes. Where do you think that comes from, this this innate caring of, of what you do, like in your passion? Like just speaking there and that advice I think is very deep. Is it is it stuff you found yourself as you've gone through? Have you had other comics and other people reach out to you and, and give you this advice? or is it learned yourself? No, it's mainly learned. I mean, it's just because I care about it. It's like, I like it. I, I, I take it all very seriously and I treat it very much like a chef would treat food. And it's like, if you know, you're, you're actually essentially doing it so that everyone can come together and enjoy it. Yeah. Right. And so when you care about the, the, the food that you're creating and the dishes that you're creating, you want people to have a good time and to enjoy it. And one of the biggest things actually, you know, someone from Melbourne Comedy Festival pointed out, they were like, you need to put in a good performance every single time because, you know, a comic will do 200 gigs a year. So it's it's all the same to them. The, the people in the crowd, you've got to imagine that it's two parents, two young parents um, who have got a kid who they're leaving at home with a babysitter, which costs $100 at least, probably $150. They've gone out they've got to uber it so that's half sixty dollars or fifty dollars let's imagine each way maybe less maybe even more depending where you are um they've got dinner so that could be two hundred dollars then they've got a couple of drinks which would be another hundred dollars so already before they walk through and you're charging them sometimes 60 70 bucks to have a night so they've already invested like six hundred dollars in you and if you come out and don't give them the best show, they're not going to forgive you for it. You know, they're going to be like, well, we're never going to go see him again. And not only that, we won't tell anyone to do that. So you've kind of got to go, even though you've only put $50 on your ticket, you've got to assume that they've invested $500 in what you do. Do and, you, yeah. um, the, Michael Jordan has the same thing, you know, he never missed a game because he wanted to perform and he said people spend this money to do that. I feel like there's a really strong sort of um, parallel between, you know, you talking about comedy and also athletes performing. Do you sort of treat it like that? Uh, there is an endurance, yeah, that you've got to do. I mean, something that you don't realise when you're, say, filming a TV show is how much the endurance is important. And actually, you know, working on Triple J every morning, you're up at 4.30 in the morning, right? I missed one morning. I, yeah. missed, I missed one morning. That was because I had a huge one the night before. 
and then got woke- arrested. Had a fight with his mates. <laughs> I remember I woke up, and when you wake up on break- morning, t- like breakfast radio hours, if you wake up and there's sunlight in your room, you're like, oh no. <laughs> And I remember my dad was calling and he's like, you're supposed to be on the radio. And I'm like, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Okay. This is going to turn into content. And he's like, get to work now. And I'm like, no, they're going to call me. And then I'm going to tell them I'm not coming in and we're going to do a whole segment about it. And they called me and I'm like, I'm not coming in. And then dad gets back on the phone. He's like, you better go to work right now. And I'm like, fine, I will. Hang up, drive in. Right. So that you do those, like I missed that one morning and then another morning I just, I went out too much the night before again and I'd lost my voice and so I'd just spend the whole morning doing this and Alex was like, dude, you got to just go. Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about you and Alex, right? Oh, but sorry, sorry. Oh. What I was going to say is one of the, one of the pieces of feedback afterwards that I got from, you know, our boss, Ollie Woods at the time was that like, he could always rely on me to be there. Yeah. So in three years, 4.30 AM starts, no matter what, like you're always there. It doesn't matter if you're hungover. doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or anything like that. You can talk about all that stuff on, on air. You can, you can be transparent with who you are, how you're feeling and everything, and people actually connect to it. While you're talking on air and you're hungover and miserable because your partner's broken up with you or whatever, so is some tradie who's in a mine in Kununurra who's also feeling like that. So people connect with and appreciate that. It's when you don't turn up. It's when you're not there, then that's what they can't connect with. So... There is an element as like an athlete, you got to be there, and it take and the energy needs to be there every time. Well, because yeah, I, I guess you know, there's a for some people they think you know funny people, are, you know, geez, their life must be easy. They're always joking around and whatever. But you know, you talk about all these things you've done, whether it's you know hosting radio, the TV shows, movies, performances, stand up, all this stuff. Like that's, I guess, my question is, how much time and thought are you putting into your body, into what you eat and you drink or whatever? Is it as you've got more as you've gotten older? Like, oh, I treat my body like shit, honestly, <laughs> absolutely. Just straight up abuse of my body. Oh my God. We had to wheel Matt in <laughs> to this. He pays a guy to stand in. If you've ever seen any photos or video lately, that's someone else. We'll wheel him into the studio. Oh, man. I mean, one of the things I remember, like, uh, the worst thing about having being on a TV show is that the catering is so good. Yeah. Right? And so every single day you've got, like, full breakfast buffet, full lunch buffet, and, like, a dinner snack plus snacks in the middle of the day. And so, like, I was on the other guy for, like, you know, or, you know, Chris Ransom was the same, like, a month straight. And every day you're just eating so much. And you literally, like, I, like, gained five kilos over the course of the shoot to the point where, like, I will, my character will, the other guy will, like, walk through a door and put on weight. You know what I mean? Like... Whoa, did they just, just get five <laughs> kilograms? He ate, just... he ate the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> Is he wearing a smaller version of the same shirt? <laughs> the show's now yeah. two guys. <laughs> literally, the flick of a camera shot, just like suddenly, boom, just jowls are out. Like, oh, these special effects are weird. Why do they do that? Uh, how does it go, like, from a comedy standpoint? I mean... You did a lot of radio. I mean, obviously, there's that live element to it. Uh, on stage, yes, you've, you've practiced your stuff and that kind of thing, but there's still that live delivery of it. How does that comparison go to when you're doing five to ten takes on a TV show, on a movie of uh, a comedy bit, a piece, of, a, a funny scene? Does that take the magic away from you? I mean, man, I can say the same thing so many times and still be fine with it. And it's prepared me for life, to be honest, doing stand-up. Because, I mean, you want people to feel like they've seen the same show every... I mean, a brand new show, like you just thought of it on... But, I mean, you haven't. You've devised a show. It's taken two years for you to come up with a show. 
So, you know, you work hard at making it feel spontaneous in the moment and everything, but you also need it to be really, really good. It doesn't mean that it doesn't change. It's just, you know, and sometimes you deliver things differently or you, you add extra lines here or there, but ultimately the framework is always the same. It's kind of helped me in life because I now have a three-year-old daughter who listens to the same shit every goddamn day. Like if I hear Moana again, I can, I can still... I can still deal with it, though. You know what I mean? Because I just sit there and go, no, it's okay. We can listen to this because in my head, I just equate it to, to comedy seasons. I'm like, okay, now we're at... You want to listen to it again? Okay, this is <laughs> the Sydney Comedy Festival. <laughs> yep, yep. Listen to it again. Okay, now we're in Melbourne. It's yeah. April. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get through Montreal and Edinburgh and London. Yeah, so, I mean, part of my drama teaching was, like, about saying the same things over and over again and giving different choices and different performances that are slightly different every time. If, so, you're, no. if you're on set and you're delivering something that might be improvised or anything like that, like be it TV or movie or that kind of thing, and you're, the co-stars who are on set with you laugh and they ruin the take, mm. would that annoy you? I hate improv in filming stuff. I mean, some people are like really pride themselves in improv and everything like that. It's just, I just don't like it. You find, and this is not probably the, a funny answer that you might have been hoping for, but it's more a technical thing. You'll find that the energy within a take changes the second that it becomes improv within a scene. And what you actually find happens is that it's a false economy when it comes to improvising in TV shows because I find. So everyone knows the script. And by the time you get on stage, you know, in front of camera, all the cameras and performing it, filming it, Everyone in the tech team has read the script. They know all the jokes. They know what's coming. There's been rehearsals, everything. So they, so you film it. Then on the day you film it four or five different times, you know, maybe from each angle. So what happens is everyone hears the same thing eight times. And so when an actor then says something different at the end of one take, everyone laughs because they weren't expecting it. But that doesn't mean it was funnier than what was there in the original yeah. script. It just means that people are laughing. So suddenly... The actor has this idea like, oh, I'm funnier than what's written down. You know, I'm better, I'm better than a writer. I'll show you script. Is, yeah, exactly. Who has written. Matt, you, Matt, you wrote this. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what I was talking about. Also, Matt, have you put this, on weight coming through this? This is funny. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, then you see it and people, and then like because you can hear the laughs in the room, it sort of adds to this idea that, yeah, that, that you're funnier than what's, what's there, but often it's not. Yeah. So, I don't like that kind of that vibe, but that's just me. Uh, can I ask you about your dad? You mentioned before we called up, you know, when you hung over on Triple J, yeah. uh, casting for him in the in the new movie. Yeah. Is he involved in a lot of your stuff? Does he watch everything? Does he? Is that a regular occurrence? Oh, I don't know whether he watches everything. I mean, sometimes, I mean, there's some stuff that you probably, I don't know whether he's ever watched or hasn't known about. I mean, well, I mean, in my one of my second shows, I talk about sucking my own dick, you know, <laughs> and it's like, do I want dad to be there watching that? <laughs> Yeah. Do I want to look at him in the eye when I'm halfway through that story? Like, yeah. no, probably not. Because however he looks, I'm not going to like the reaction. You know, he's either going to be approving or disapproving. And that's Sa not. Say it, say it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not good. I gave him that bit. <laughs> Runs in the family. So like, and, you know, and there's also just emotional stuff that, you know, there's been things that I've accidentally said about him, say on, you know, the radio that he didn't necessarily want 500,000 people to hear. And not even big things, but like. Just, just anything. Sometimes you forget that you know not everything is fodder for content, and you that you know that, those are the hard lessons that you've learned over the years. Like that was a big lesson: is learning what what is your story and what's other people's stories. Because there's a fine line, and I and I feel like I, you know it's 
anyone, everyone should be entitled to tell their story. It's just where does your story end and another's begins. It's pretty, you learn that over time. What about your decision to go balls deep into comedy? When, it, when you're like, this is my career, this is how I'm going to make a living. What was your dad's thoughts then? Did he see it coming or was it kind of like, did you have to have like a conversation with him and go, dad, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be a magician or a pyrotechnic. Like, <laughs> how do you really <laughs> want me to be a magician, dad? <laughs> how did that go down? I mean, when I decided to get into drama school, he was pretty happy about that. I think because I was going to university and I think that was really it. I think that was a happy compromise. He was just pretty, pretty glad that I wasn't, you know, on the street after my mum had died. I think he was just happy that I'd found a sort of purpose and was really, really pursuing it. Also, he used to be a bass player in a rock band in Ghana, so I'm pretty sure he just wanted to, you know, live vicariously through me. And, you know, he used to put on shows and stuff like that in Brisbane. He was a concert promoter. He had a nightclub, an African nightclub. So, like, he totally gets it. He's always been supportive. And now it's the opposite. Now, you know, I've stopped doing comedy mainly, stopped doing stand-up to focus on the TV stuff, and he's always calling me going, when are you going to get back into stand-up? You should be doing stand-up. Why aren't you at the Brisbane Comedy Festival? You're young. You should be doing it while you can now and stuff. I'm like, bro, you you weren't even there when I was talking about sucking my own dick. You know, what are you talking about? That's all you want to hear. Now you want me to get back on stage and so like, come on, bro. Uh, what, about, what about your daughter? Has she shown any signs of that that funny, that humor? Like, yeah, and I think that that's always going to be a, because we're you know it's like you know there's always that rule when it comes to you know co-hosting or, or improv or whatever where it's just accepting offers and so as parents, Belinda and I are pretty accepting of all the offers that she presents. Where some parents who undoubtedly would, because of their nature, go, oh no, that that little toy truck isn't a you know spaceship who's you know going to save us all from <laughs> apocalypse. We go, oh well, how bad's the apocalypse? Get under the couch, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's just something that we've always incorporated, and I think that you know she's kind of picked up on that and sort of runs with it. Whether she's going to be a comedian or not, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, we've spoken about um, what your dad thought when you decided to make that decision to to go into comedy and make a career out of it. What about for yourself? Was it something that you were like, yep, 100%, no questions, this is what I'm doing? Or were you umming and ahhing going, oh, can I make a living out of this? No, I mean, there's always that. I was working at a call centre for a while and when I was at that crux of, you know, trying to break through. It's a really scary moment when a, when an artist goes, you know, a freelancer sort of jumps, takes a plunge and gets rid of their day job. I mean, I always have always treated it like a career. You asked me about, you know, me taking it seriously or like an athlete and stuff, and that's what it is. And I feel like too many people, they, especially coming from a drama school background, they graduate or they get into it, they do one or two open mics and they go, oh, I'm going to be huge. And it's like no one else in our world thinks that they're going to be partner of the law firm the second they step out of <laughs> like school. They yeah. just don't. They like, but for some reason, actors think oh, I've graduated now. I'm going to win an Oscar, and it's yeah. just crazy. Like, and so it's always just been a long game for me, and taking it real seriously. And it's a career, and it's something that I need to build. And it's about relationships, and it's about performing and consistency, and turning up on time, and all that sort of stuff. You know, not being a dickhead as well. Yeah. I think that's a big. I mean, I you know, I'm a bit of a dickhead when it you know just in general, but I answer emails. Yeah, yeah, and so many people just don't even get that right, you know. Can I ask you? You know, you talk about not doing as much stand up, doing more of the TV stuff, you know. And and I think you're, you know, incredibly funny, but I also think you're incredibly insightful. Is it stretching another muscle doing these TV shows and you know some more serious topics and stuff like that? Oh man, TV is fucked. It's <laughs> so hard. Like I love it, I really love it, but it's so much harder than anything else. There's just so many. There's just constantly people going like, nope. Can't do that. Can't do that. No, nope. too long. This scene's too long. This is too short. You need to do this. 
We're not going to be able to do that in a stadium, man. You're going to have to set it in a chicken shop. You're so limited just by the nature of it. Um, there's timelines. Hey, this has to be done by this, you know, this time. There's so much money riding on it as well. So, like, if you look at the difference between a stand-up show, basically what happens is with stand-up, you're like, hey, I'm going to put on a stand-up show, and your manager is like, cool, I've booked a venue. You need to be done by the 25th of Feb. And you're like, okay. And then you go and just silently worry about it for the next six months. Yeah. But no one's, everyone's just like, man, if you want to do it, you're the, you're the idiot who's going to be on stage if it sucks. Like, that's yeah. up to you, man. Yeah. And same with a book. If you say, I want to write a book and you get a publishing deal, most of the time it's like, you know, printing costs a bit, but it doesn't cost that much. Yeah. And they'll print out a couple of pages. If it doesn't sell well, then they won't print anymore. Yeah. Deal. And again, they'll just let you go. They'll go, okay, we'll deliver it when it's, when it's done. Your name is on the front. But you write a TV show and it's like everyone is invested and they've invested millions of dollars into it. And so they have to know that you are going to even just finish the product. You can't <laughs> yeah. pull the pin. You, yeah. know? you can't just like, you can cancel a stand-up show. Sorry, guys, tickets are refunded. Yeah. You can't cancel a TV show when, it's, when p- p- people are there, the camera person's there, the lights everywhere, everyone's staring at you and you're like, nah, it's not good enough. Yeah. You know? I'm just going to go home. Everyone's like, no, no, it's millions. So the pressure is on and people are watching and it's like, and they really want it to be good and everyone's name is on it. And so you're just constantly like stressing. It hangs over your head like a little rain cloud. But then- you know, people sort of ask, oh, do you like writing? And it's like, no, I don't. But I also don't like cleaning my room, but I love being in a clean room. So I hate, I don't like writing and I don't mind saying that, but I love living in the world that I've written eventually yeah. and being able to watch it on TV and having people enjoy it and stuff. Do you surround yourself in funny people with funny people? Um, I would say yes, because my partner and my daughter are very funny. Um, you know, my dad's pretty funny. Uh, Alex Dyson, such a good friend of mine, very funny, and all my friends are funny. So yeah, I do. I like funny. It's a, it's a it's a it's a fun place to be in. Comedians are all very funny as well. I mean, you talked to Luke McGregor before, and he's so funny. But there's a difference between some, you know, like you look at like someone like Luke McGregor is so funny all the time, <laughs> effortlessly. Like I and you know and like so, or someone like Hamish Blake, so funny like you can't have a conversation with, ha- with Hamish Blake without <laughs> laughing and every time anything anytime he opens his mouth he just says funny things and I wish it was that easy for me I wish I just I don't know how to do it you know but he's just like brilliant so yeah there's definitely funnier people than others but yeah I like to I like to surround myself with do you people. find because obviously you've made a career of it you're one of Australia's most well-known comics as well do people who aren't in the industry who don't do it for a living, do they try and be funny to you all the time? And if that happens, does that get tiring? No, but what, what does happen is people expect you to be funny. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, I was, I'd tried to rap for a long time. I still do. Right. And it's like <laughs> such a bad idea because I love it. I absolutely love rapping and I still want to do it. Boilermakers, check it out <laughs> uh, on Spotify. <laughs> but it's like so many, like I remember putting on Boilermakers geeks being like, I am doing a music show. Please come along. I, like, I couldn't have written music, rap, Boilermakers, <laughs> me. I've, I'm serious on the post and everything. And then you still get people turned up just sitting there like. Uh. <laughs> Tell yeah. a joke, yeah, funny, no, man. And then, like, they've got little smiles just curled up like, <laughs> yeah, but when's it, when's it going to be funny? Well, sitting there rapping TV. about <laughs> my dead mum. Like, oh, man, the pain, cancer. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, but 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 it's gonna be funny, right? When you're filming, it's like a cameraman or someone going, "He'll do something." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work with him on the other guy. You yeah. you wait, yeah. you wait for the guy. Yeah. Like, no, this is the, I suck my dick scene. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad's there going, "Do the suck dick here." This is why I didn't pick you in the show, Dad. <laughs> you're not playing this. Uh, Maddie, do you remember the first time you got a big laugh? Like whether it's on stage, in, in physics class, whatever it was, it might not have even been the first time, but is, is there a laugh that you got either from a prepared joke or a not prepared, a prepared joke where it just killed and you were like, this is what I want to do? Yeah, but it's a bit embarrassing when I think about it, like the gear that you used to do. Yeah. I remember being in year 12 class and teacher was teaching at the front and I, you know, I'd ask a question or whatever and she was answering it and then she turned around to the board and started writing on the board and then I climbed out the window um, next to my chair and then climbed out in, onto the, the hallway, like the hallway of the building, and then walked back to the door of the classroom and then knocked. And then the teacher answered it and I was like, hi, can I talk to Matt O'Kine? And the crowd, like, I mean, the crowd, I say the crowd, the class. The class. 1,500 people. Lost it. Lost it. I mean, I like. I thought it was so funny at the time as well. Now I look back and it's just like, I, I, I look at it from the teacher's point of view now. I'm like, oh, you oh. dickhead, just shut up. Like, that's what I would think if someone did. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, get in the, sit down. You sit dickhead. down, O'Kind. Sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> did, did, your teacher, did, she, did that teacher encourage that behavior? She, she did, she, actually. Oh, she okay. did. Because okay. I was in a boy band in year 12, and she, I remember her. Still trying to rap? No, well, mate, I wasn't wanting to be in sync back then. <laughs> oh, the lengths that I've gone to, geez, it, it makes me cringe. But, um,. But yeah, no, she was, she was encouraging. And that's what it takes. You know, it takes people like that to be encouraging. And so it was really important to have encouraging teachers like that to say, hey, you know that, you know, keep doing this. And, and I think it does start young because people need to understand that it's a real, it's a real business and it's something that it's a viable, viable business and a proper career that you can take. Do you think that you would change anything if you went back in terms of career advice you give to your younger self? I would create more sooner. Yeah. So I took a long time to realize that content is king and that that actually everything that happens in the industry happens only because of content and creation yeah and that that is actually the source of industry and jobs and a whole economy you can't put on a concert if no one's written a song yeah. or you can't film a movie if no one's written the script and you can't put on a comedy show if no one's written the jokes so it's those are the things that are the most valuable things in this whole industry and that's where it all starts. Someone actually coming up with the stuff that is going to be performed. And then everything gets built around that. And I think it took me a long time. It took me a long time to realize that it wasn't about getting discovered because that doesn't kind of really happen. What happens is you do the work and someone decides that they can exploit the work for both of your benefits. And yeah. that's basically it. You know, for about four years after I moved to Sydney, I won this competition. I was on Rove Live, which was such a huge, huge thing for Massive. me at the time. You know, back then it was like a million yeah. plus viewers a week and everything. And I only had really 20 minutes of comedy. And about four years later, I still had 20 minutes of comedy. And I was just still doing this comedy store and still doing the clubs going, why hasn't anyone discovered me? Why hasn't this discovered me? And it was Tig Nataro. I remember do, doing this gig of road shows, road shows with Tig I said, you know, so what do you do at the, like, you know, what are you up to at the moment? Tig had been on some Last Comic Standing, I think, this TV show, but was, hadn't 
broken through yet yeah, yeah. And, and they've broken through now, but, uh, Tig said, oh, you know, I just, I keep going back to the store and, you know, keep writing and stuff. And I said, but don't you feel like you should have been discovered now? Like that people would know you by now. And Tig, it's so embarrassing, but Tig just goes, yeah, but I can also get better. So that's why I keep doing it. And I don't know why that was such a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, I need to get better. That's what it is. I just thought I was as good as I was ever going to be. I just needed to get better. And so that's kind of the fear. When you write comedy, you think, oh, I'm never going to write something better. But actually you can and you will. And you'll look back on whatever you just wrote and go, no, that wasn't that great. This is good. And that'll constantly happen. So realizing that I had to throw things out and then get better was just, I wish I'd done it earlier. But, you know, that's life. Have you got any plans to go back to the stand-up stage? Obviously, I mean, we're going hard with the, with the TV and uh, you mentioned it before, Christmas Ransom, movies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Stan exclusive, by the way, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> check out Stan. Check out Stan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you miss the stage? Do you miss the stage and the mic? We, are, yeah. are you going to come back soon? So or? much. Um, I miss it so much, but I also like being at home at night. And that helps. And when you've got a kid, it's just difficult to be away. So that's kind of one of the biggest reasons that COVID sort of helped me step back from that, spend time with, just be at home, you know, like, because with all the big shows, to get to all the big shows, you've got to do all the little shows. And there's nothing wrong with the little shows. The little shows are the most fun, but it's like, can I justify a weekend in Wagga when my partner and kids are at home? You know, I can't really justify that. I'd love it. I would love to go to Walgreens and do shows. I love going to Orange doing shows. I love going to Port Macquarie doing shows, all that stuff. But it's just doing that at weekend, weekend, weekend. Yeah. You just can't justify it. So, yeah, for now, I don't think I'm going to be doing it. Well, Matt, um, we absolutely love having you on the podcast, mate. Uh, I think it's safe to say that, Nathan, I think you were born funny. Absolutely. That, oh, that early you've, got to, you've got to tell him the story before we let him go. You've got to, we've, we've got to, we've oh, got to okay, tell him. What's this? There's a classic story of mistaken identity. <laughs> oh, no. It doesn't. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> the Waleed. Did you get me mixed up with Waleed <laughs> no, Ali? No, no, you're not even, someone you mixed even, you up. <laughs> so, look, um, if you listen to this, Nathan and I, we also do a radio show um, and we do the show where we are. We're doing the podcast today yeah. and, and you do Matt and Alex sometimes yeah. in the same studio. Studio. Yeah. yeah. All on listener, guys. All on listener. Get listener. listener. <laughs> um, and there was a time where we were looking for a new digital producer um, and they were trialing different people. And this new digital producer was standing outside. And they, so we used the same cameras, Jimmy Nathan, same cameras, Matt and Alex, same setup, everything. Yep. And this new producer, she went, um, oh, she goes, you guys are so funny. And I went, oh, thanks. <laughs> and she goes, I was just editing some stuff you're doing earlier. And she's like, do you want to see it? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Now, this... <laughs> This day, Matt and I were wearing the same colour shirt. Yeah. That is all we have in common. Yeah. <laughs> let me just, let me just. No, Matt mixed you up with me. Yes. Matt O'Kine, <laughs> Jimmy Smith. <laughs> and she plays this video and it's you and I usually sit in that spot and I don't think you guys had changed the background. So it's worse. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and so you can, the background is a TV, a huge TV of my head. It says Jimmy and Matt's there. She's playing it to me. She's your funny. <laughs> <laughs> We're different colours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So, that's so, so far. She... Hey, do you know what? Do you know what? Bravo. Yeah. We need more colourblind people. <laughs> yeah. She does not see race, no, my man. No, she did it. Good, yeah, you know. She that's, said, that's they're it. saying we shouldn't have not. We didn't hire her. We, <laughs> we, well, then she said, "I came and saw one of your gigs, and that sucking your own dick gig was fucking." 
<laughs> I couldn't believe it. She's playing it nice standing okay, there. Can we know, I, I know that there's going to be a high-def clip soon on Instagram that's going to be just... Real after real of me talking about that, okay? I've, I've, I've already talked Stand. about it too much. Stand. Oh, Matt O'Connor, we love you to bits, mate. Thank no, you so thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. All right, thank you, mate. Thank you for everything you do for the comedy scene, and uh, we appreciate it. Nah, thanks, guys. Listener.